You are listening to Packers Talk Radio Network. PackersTalk.com. You're listening to No Huddle Radio on the Packers Talk Radio Network, your home for in-depth and thoughtful Packers analysis. I'm your host, J.J. Leahy. My co-host is my good friend, Gil Martin. In addition to this show, I host Cheese and Packers. And Gil is the host of Locked On NHL. He also writes for the Packers Post and Cheesehead TV. We're here to talk Packers because you're all here for one thing, and that's a love for Green Bay football. Folks, I have a sobering announcement, depressing news. Due to budget cuts, we're going to have to remove one of the most popular uh, segments or or features, I should say, of our show. And that is we can no longer afford to pay Gil to go through after each episode and edit the stupid things I say and make me sound smart. I wait, what's that? You haven't (laughs) been doing that. You haven't been doing that this whole time. No, no, I leave. I, I, I just let you do your thing, man. Oh, the network assured me that they were taking care of this. I ah, so we've been putting out this unedited stuff. Just any little thing that comes to my mind that I blurt out go, goes on the air. It's, it's a little bad. dangerous, but yes, <laughs> it explains our ratings. Okay, uh, <laughs> we're going to talk today about the defensive backs. Um. You, you, you know the top five, Adrian Amos, Darnell Savage, Jai Alexander, Eric Stokes, Rasul Douglas. You know them, you love them. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the depth guys, give you sort of a, I don't know, state of the defensive back room. Talk about expectations, who could step up where, to dive into uh, scouting reports from some of these guys. But first, a word from our sponsor. Take it away, Gil. Yeah, well, today's episode is brought to you by our new partner, Athletic Greens. We were recently introduced to their new health supplement, AG1. So what is this stuff? Well, with one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adoptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. All these things. And it's lifestyle friendly. Whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, Mm. dairy-free, or gluten-free, it contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, or artificial anything while still tasting good. And it costs less than $3 a day. You're investing in your health, and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with a convenient daily nutritional supplement It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day, and that's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash emerging. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash emerging to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Athletic Greens is foundational nutrition for just about everyone. 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food source nutrients in just one tasty scoop. Gil, pop quiz. For the 2021 season, out of all of our cornerbacks, 
and safeties who are currently on the roster today. All right. Whether mm-hmm. they played in a Green Bay uniform or whatever last year, who had the highest PFF grade? Hmm. Rasul Douglas. Ooh, really close. He was second. He was okay. slightly ahead of Adrian Amos. Adrian Amos uh, was at uh, 74.3. Rasul Douglas, 74.5. Okay. Mr. Keyshawn Nixon was a 77.4. Now, he didn't play very much last year. In fact, most of his snaps were limited to special teams. But the dude was actually pretty good in the limited snaps that he did see. Now, he uh, his highest grade was as a pass rusher. They brought him on uh, four pass rush attempts. He got home once for a, I think it was a QB hit, but his coverage grade was not half bad. 74.8. That would make him uh, the second highest graded DB in coverage uh, for for the team last year. Uh, Third highest uh, just behind. uh, Yeah, no, second highest behind Rasul. So Rasul's overall grade was a little bit lower, but his coverage grade, grade was higher. And it's a bigger sample size. Much bigger sample size. We're mm-hmm. we're talking about such a small sample size with Keyshawn that I'm not going to call it a fluke, but he really only got substantial stat- snaps in about three games. Now, in those three games, we got to see him in three different spots on the field. We got to see him as a boundary corner, a slot corner, and as a, uh, I believe, as a strong safety. Mm-hmm. Um, Actually... Nope, I'm thinking of Shamar Jean Charles, who had uh, a game as a strong safety. But Keyshawn Nixon played two games in the slot and one on the boundary. Big difference. And over the course of his career, it's been a big difference whether he was in the slot or on the boundary. His best game last year against Cleveland, he had 21 coverage snaps, uh, 13 run defense. uh, No, nine run defense, four pass rush uh, against Cleveland. And he had uh, in that game a 76 coverage grade. He played primarily out of the slot. Dude, dude uh, did well. This is the game where he had that hit. He had four tackles. Uh, he had two run stops, which is a negative play for the offense. He was targeted three times, did allow three receptions, but only for a total of 17 yards on the okay. whole. He didn't do too bad. Uh, Really, the worst stat of the day that you could really give him is 13 yards after the catch. But you also don't really know, uh, you know, what the specific situation was on that where he, uh, you know, how how far away was he, um, you know, when when his guy caught that. So, right. But I'm very intrigued. This is a guy who for the first two years in the league really didn't look too good. Um, except in one area, he's always been a good tackler. In fact, in 2020, he had the highest tackling grade of his career, an 83. Not half bad at all. Uh, bad definitely at all. something that you like to see for Joe Barry's defense. Now, of course, he has experience playing for um, the heck is our, our special team. Rich Passaccia. Thank you. Rich Passaccia, I, I just I kept thinking Sean Menenga. I'm like, no, that was two, two four <laughs> days ago. So he played for Rich Passaccia uh, with the Raiders. Have to assume he's going to be a big special teams guy again here as well. But I'm really intrigued 
about what he can do as quite possibly our CB4, who might get a substantial amount of playing time a la Chandon Sullivan, uh, if we could see Keyshawn in the slot. What do you think about this? Well, you know, I, I like the numbers, but the sample size being so small, I'm not ready to put that much stock in them just yet. So I, I think he'll be a candidate. Obviously, depth at cornerback behind the top three is a wide open competition. And I think that because of his value on special teams, he'll probably make the team regardless. But, um, you know, I'm not ready to get all that excited about a very good grade under very a very small sample size of plays. Yeah, that makes sense. He only had 81 total snaps last year. Did well across those 81 snaps, but it was uh, definitely a small sample size. Um, speaking of the slot and, and who's going to play there, I, I certainly think that although you can't um, overblow it and, and make too big of a deal of it, they are going to move guys around. There mm-hmm. is going to be an element of, hey, if your best uh, receiver is lined up in the slot, Jair's probably going to the slot. That That's going to be a thing, but... It's not going to only be that. And if you're talking about like who's going to be assuming everybody's healthy, who's going to get the most time in the slot from minicamp, it sure sounds like Rasul Douglas is the guy who's been getting those snaps that they are bumping Jair back outside where he belongs. He is one of the best boundary corners in the league. I know that uh, a lot of Packers writers who I'm not going to name got really excited about the idea of, Jair being the slot guy because, oh, we're going to put Rasul outside and, and Stokes outside. And, and Jair is the guy you can put in the slot. And I'm just saying he's too talented to relegate to the slot. I don't care if the other guys are not as good in the slot as they are on the boundary. Right. They're not as good on the boundary as Jair is. Right. You you Alexander. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, uh, but, but that'll be interesting uh, seeing Rasul there in the slot. And the other name that you, uh, immediately jumps to your mind when you're talking about slot is Shamar Jean Charles. Mm-hmm. Um, last year, he didn't play super well, but the coaches were happy with him. He did get a, uh, not a huge amount of playing time, but he got more playing time toward the end of the year. Yes. And one of the things that you like about him, that the coaches really like about him is the versatility with this guy. He's um, you. If, if you really want him to just be full time, uh, you know, slot guy, that's just not how they're going to use him. They value his versatility too much. They're going to put him at strong safety, free safety, slot boundary. They're going to move him around because he can do it. He has the size, 5'11", 190. He has the athleticism, the agility. They like that they can move him around. He's a smart guy. And even though he doesn't super impress anywhere he goes, um, you know, talk about different positions on the field. Right. He's good enough at all the positions, and that's what the coaches really love about him. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what he does in year two. And I think that uh, – him taking a step forward, I think that's the the coaching staff's first choice if they needed to have somebody take that spot. But 
again, the question is, is he ready yet here in year two? Mm. Making a big jump from a small school to a big school, uh, to the NFL rather. And uh, I I think we'll see a lot more defensively from him here in his second NFL season. Yeah, I got a a, a scouting report pulled up that I I liked about him that just talks about the uh, wide range of skill sets that he has. Here's what I have. Here's what I have under versatility. Mm -hmm. During his two seasons as a full-time starter, Gene Charles has spent nearly all of his time on the outside. Because of a compact and maxed out frame, combined with a lack of length, he will likely be transitioned inside. This is inside. This is kind mm-hmm. of what we were expecting when he was drafted. His best angle of versatility comes with his value on special teams, which he has a wealth of experience on during all four seasons. And and uh, you referenced that he went to a small school. That was Appalachian State. Yes. Talking about where he played last year, you know, this this uh, film evaluation was projecting that he was going to mostly be inside. He played in seven games last year on defense. Against Pittsburgh and Cincinnati, he was the left boundary cornerback. Um, you remember those were the games where they were trying to figure out what the heck they were going to do. Right. Without Jair Alexander. After Jair got hurt. Yep. Yep. And then uh, what's his name? Isaac Yadam got a couple snaps and it uh, was like. That was uh, short lived, mm. thankfully. <laughs> no offense he, to him, but he just didn't get the job done. I don't think he listens to this show. I'm, I'm, I don't mind offending him. He, he played <laughs> really horribly. Uh, week six and week seven. So he's now played four weeks in a row, four, five, six, seven, six and seven against Washington and Chicago strong safety. This was, um, this was the worst stretch of play for him of the year. Um, but again, he just didn't play a ton. He had three snaps in week six, 12 in week seven, week seven. He had a 46 grade, um, through the first four weeks of the year, he only had one tackle. Uh, he did have one stop. He was targeted three times. He gave up three receptions for a total of 31 yards. Uh, the long, the longest one that he gave up was 15. It's not great. No, no, no pass breakups. He did have a snap um, along the defensive line as well, which is interesting. <laughs> then he didn't play for three weeks and came back against Seattle week 10. And he was put in the slot. Did pretty well. Uh, He was only in there for one snap, but he had an above average grade, which means he did something good on that play. Um, (laughs) And then he played weeks 17 and 18 again as a slot corner. And you remember 17 and 18. um, At that point, we were uh, you were seeing a lot of starters getting rested. Yes. uh, Toward the end of of week 17 against the Vikings. And then. Um, for the whole second half against week 18 makes sense. You'd see a lot of him out there. Unfortunately, the bad news is against Detroit. He had the worst game of his career. Again, only six snaps. It wasn't that great, but he had a 29 coverage grade. He did give up two receptions uh, for 21 and a half yards, a pop. So that's not great. Um, so that was the last time we got to see him. He did not play in the postseason. Obviously, you know you're not going to have your your third, fourth string. Not when Jair was coming out back. there. No, right. Um, but you know you can see this is three different positions that they had him play across the season. 
Um, and you heard positive things from the coaches about him. I think putting a fifth rounder out there in his rookie year, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these games and situations seem to be kind of clean up, uh, except for early on in the season when they were just like, who the heck do we even put out there? Because Yada is not the answer. Right. The rest of the year, it, it seemed to be a lot of like uh, garbage time and cleanup snaps, but he did well when he was out there. And I like that they're, um, that they really trust him in all these different settings. Yeah. I like that. That has a lot of potential again, you know, it's hard to make uh, a definitive judgment based on a very small sample size of snaps. And yeah, he, he showed definitely showed some potential when he was out there, made some mistakes when he was out there also as rookies have been known to do this training camp is really going to be a big key for him. Mm, mm -hmm. And he's got to show the coaching staff, Hey, I'm ready to play in the NFL. I'm comfortable. I can, I I know the playbook backwards and forwards now after a year, find me, you know, different situations that I can excel in and I'll go out and do it. And I, I think we will see a bigger role for him because the opportunity is there And he would be the first choice for the coaching staff if they could pick anybody to fill that fourth corner slot. I think so, too. Looking at our way too early 53-man projection, the number of corners that the Packers keep every year is six. Like They really just don't ever waver from that. It's six. Jair, Stokes, Douglas, that's top three right there. I I think that Shamar Jean Charles and Keyshawn Nixon are about as close to locks as you can get. Um, four, four and five. So we're talking about one more cornerback slot and four guys currently could change four guys currently duking it out for that slot. So those four guys, KB on Ento, Keandre Thomas, Raleigh Texada and Rico Gafford. Mm -hmm. Who do we want to talk about first? Rico Gafford could be fun. Yeah. Let's start with Rico. All right. Rico Gafford. Um, former wide receiver who prior to that was a former quarterback got moved, moved back and forth a couple of times. And he's back. Yeah. And he's <laughs> back again. Uh, and it makes sense because we have way more wide receivers right now than cornerbacks. Um, and I, I, I don't think he had, I, I think it was moved to cornerback or get cut. I think that's, that was, yeah. uh, the only option. Former Raider. The, who then went to who was this? The Ravens, the Chargers. This article is not clear. Um, no, who? Oh, Steelers. I'll, I'll just keep listing a, a ton of random names, and then we'll see what sti- what sticks. Okay. Rico Gafford, six one six relative athletic score, uh, player out of Wyoming. Uh, 5'10", 184, definitely a small guy. Uh, you can see, especially considering the the way that the Packers run their offense under Matt LaFleur, how much they value the big-bodied wide receivers. Yep. You can see why um, it just wasn't going to work at wide receiver. They don't like these small guys. Well, Raiders, I- The Raiders are the ones, by the way, who flipped him to wide receiver. And then he got signed, you know, as a wide receiver by the Packers. And then uh, just, uh, I don't know, two months ago or whatever, moved him back to cornerback. Right. Look, I mean, 
<clears throat> the Packers, the other thing is, no, the, the Packers do prefer bigger wide receivers, but they also have two players who are kind of set in that smaller slot role in, in Randall Cobb uh, and Amari Rogers. So mm-hmm. Gafford was sort of like a third wheel. They didn't need a third guy to compete at that position. Now, look, if an injury happens, might they switch him back, you know, early in training camp? Maybe. But uh, I think it's cornerback or bust for Rico. Yeah, and he he was uh, a little bit taken aback when the Raiders asked him to flip to wide receiver. Do you know off the top of your head how fast Rico Gafford is? Did you know that he, he was is. a four two two? Yeah, he's very fast. Now he's got to play at that speed, but yeah, very fast. The interesting thing is so he he uh, unofficially timed at four two six and four two three. And then I think he got the four two two at the combine and kind of surprised everybody. It was pretty cool. Right. Uh, oh, the, the pro day pro day still. Okay. Um, it, it, but in terms of, of uh skill set, you know, as a smaller, uh, lighter, shorter guy, really fast. He's an interesting fit. I think that he really could compete for slot cornerback and, and maybe challenge uh, Shamar Jean Charles or Keyshawn Nixon. Um, I, but I, I'm, I am wondering a little bit if all of his time spent studying the offensive playbook is going to be a hindrance to him now that he has to kind of play some catch up and, and learn the defense. Um, and I, I, I feel for him a bit in that, you know, he's, <laughs> He's he's been uh, kind of have, have had his time wasted a bit, um, you know, by the Packers saying, "Hey, you know, get, learn learn how to run offense here and learn what the what we want to do as a wide receiver." And ah, never mind, forget all that. Uh, you got to go back to uh, quarterback now. Well, it may help him depending on how he uh, processes all of this, because if he understands what wide receivers are trying to do, especially if the Packers are playing. Uh, another team that has this runs a similar offense that they do, he may be able to anticipate where the receiver is going as a result mm-hmm. of the time he spent trying to be a receiver. Right. Uh, and, and of course, you know, when you're talking about a depth corner like this, obviously, you know, your first responsibility is going to be on special teams. And we do know in minicamp, he was getting first team reps on special teams. Not super surprising um, that they would covet his blazing fast speed, but it's encouraging that they like where his head is at. Um, he actually even uh, recovered a uh, muffed punt. So that was, you know, a little bit of good news, bad news for the Packers special yeah. team. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I'm choosing to focus on the on the positive there. Um, uh, one thing that I don't know, um, and I, I – there's just not enough um, information, especially because he's spent a year as a wide receiver. I don't know how good of a tackler he is. And I, I was not able to find that in any of the scouting reports that I looked up either. Which probably means he's not outstanding and he's not terrible. I'll take it. On, on special teams, uh, being a good tackler is going to be really important. We're going to have to learn. Um, uh, we will probably learn right away uh, what kind of tackler he is. Yep. And if he's not a good tackler, he won't be on them, uh, which really would hurt his chances of making the roster. 
for sure. Kavion Ento is a guy who's been hanging around the Packers for a few years, and I really, really liked him. Uh, he's been kind of a, um, you know, off-season magician, a training camp superstar. Um, he seems to have a bit of a nose for the ball. He's going to put a couple of interceptions um, in preseason games, and then he gets, he seems to find a lot of interceptions in training camp as well. He's the kind of guy who always intrigues me. And then he's, he's so far gotten zero snaps so far on defense for the Packers. Yeah. He's one of those guys where the tools are there, but it's, it's just not quite panned out yet that he's been active and, and played a lot. And this is probably his last chance to say, okay, you guys invested in me for a couple of years. Now I'm going to show you what I can do and that that investment is going to pay off. Makes sense. Um, one of the things that you like with him, so he's he's a bigger guy, six foot one and three eighths inch. I think that three eighths matters here. <laughs> <laughs> Not super fast. He ran a four five four, um, but he's relatively athletic, uh, you know, of a, a, a dude. I think that he fills a little bit of a unique role in that you could ask him to play on the boundary. And I'm not sure any of these other depth guys can really do that. You know, you got Jair and Stokes and Douglas, but if you get into a situation where you need somebody who can play outside, Ento has some physical gifts just due to the size of his frame that the other guys I don't think have. He's, I don't know if, I don't know if I mentioned his weight. He's 187. That's also, you know, good 10, 20 pounds heavier than some of the other guys uh, on this list. Yeah, yeah, but again, he has the the frame for it. He's got to show that he can get the job done during the preseason and in practice when they put him on the field. Yeah, he's a former wide receiver out of Colorado, uh, 2019 uh, UDFA. He's been with the Packers for, I think, basically his entire NFL career. I, I just... I want to see him get some playing time. Like I want to see with my own eyes that he stinks before we move on from him. Because if, (laughs) if he, you know, doesn't make the cut and he's out of here, you know, when they're going to do trim down to 53 and I never got to see him in a Packers uniform, I'm just going to be kind of bummed because in the preseason, like he looked good in the preseason games. Yeah. He, he seemed relatively reliable. I remember one big catch that he gave up, but you know, like in the same game, he got a, a, an interception and I, you know, I, I know the, the coaches would rather have you, uh, especially here in Green Bay, they'd rather have you do your job and master the fundamentals and, and do what was asked of you rather than get lucky on a, on a pick. But he just he seems really intriguing to me. And he's been with us so long that I'm a little bit starting to get that uh, Yash Nyman vibes. Yeah. And like a year ago, you and I were talking about our frustration of like, OK, either give the guy some playing time or move on from him. And mm-hmm. then, you know, we, uh, unfortunately, uh, due to circumstances, we did get to see a lot of, a lot of Yash last year. And it paid and off. It was, it was like, all right, I see why you've stuck around with him this long. I, I just want that same emotional payoff here for Ento. I'd love to see it. You know, the, the one thing that you mentioned and, and thinking back to preseason games, he is a little bit of a gambler. He goes for those interceptions. If he makes it, he comes up with the big play, but he can also give up big plays as a result of gambling on some of those passing attempts as well. He's got to learn the technique a little bit more. 
and sort of control, you know, calculate when it's right to gamble and when to just play your position, make the tackle and move on. It'll be interesting to see uh, how much he adjusts to the defense and his role in it. If he's comfortable, the skills are there. He's got to just produce. Yeah, and, and the goal for him, obviously, this year is just to make the roster. He keeps making the practice squad. Yep. Uh, but he you know, he hasn't even gotten to play any special team snaps for us yet. So we just haven't seen him outside of the preseason at all. So make the roster. Um, and, and obviously, the, the best path he has to doing that is to prove it on special teams. He needs to get Rich Passaccia to fall in love with him. That's what needs to happen. Basically. And then, you know, once you make the roster, you know, then they're going to give you some garbage time opportunities to prove yourself on defense. And we'll see if the uh, the physical attributes and all this time you have spent in training camp with the Packers for years um, actually, uh, you know, goes anywhere. If it was worth it. And and uh, that right there it, it is the number one goal for him is impress Rich Bisaccia enough to earn a roster spot. And I, and I think that, I think that the uh, sixth and final roster spot in the cornerback room is probably going to be Rich Basaccia's to choose is my guess. Probably. You know, it's amazing. He out, he, he lasted longer than his original defensive coordinator in Mike Pettin. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's true. That is, that's a good point. Raleigh Texana, a 2022 undrafted free agent out of Baylor. Uh, this is um, a short, kind of stockier guy. 5'10", 188, uh, but he's quick. Ran, uh, I just lost it. I think it was a 4.35. Pretty sure he ran a 4.35. Okay. It's on here somewhere. Um, let's see. This scouting report says uh, elite speed showcased by a 10.5 100-meter runner in high school. His personal record in the 200 meter was 21.38. Then he matched that time uh, later with the Baylor track team in 2019. Stout and feisty will engage shed and securely wrap the ball carrier. Mm, I love a good tackler. Very few fluid hips, good backpedal and change of direction ag agility. He's an alert defender in zone coverage shows a good understanding of route progressions occurring behind him and a quick burst downhill to break on underneath passes in front of him. Trust his eyes with very good awareness has very good reaction skills to break quickly on the ball, extremely aggressive to come up and put his body in traffic to make tackles. If he can uh, really solidify his tackling technique, which, which was mostly okay in college uh, sometimes you could shake him off. If he can lock that up, this to me feels like a Joe Barry guy. Yeah, it does. But again, he's also got to be a rich Passaccia guy. Uh, otherwise he's not going to make the roster. Uh, that's probably true. The, the one thing is uh, just because he is a rookie and just, you know, we haven't seen him a lot. He hasn't been around. It's possible that he as a player really is on another level to where he's not, you know, aiming for that CB six slot, but he really is challenging Keyshawn Nixon and, or right. Shamarji and Charles for a real offensive or defensive role. Um, but yeah, but certainly no matter what, he's going to be playing on special teams. You like the, the combo of stout, 
good tackler and fast. By the way, I found it. It was four three five forty. So another nice fast guy. Yep. Rico Gafford and Raleigh Texada, two uh, blazing fast corners to add to a room of already pretty fast DBs. Uh, Stokes, uh, Douglas, Darnell, all very fast players. Even Kevin King was, was pretty fast. Yeah. Um, uh, may he rest in uh, Jacksonville or wherever he's going to end up. <laughs> uh, but uh, but Raleigh Texada actually was a guy that I remember looking at pre-draft Um he had a couple highlights that that really intrigued me where he just kind of came out of nowhere and just plowed into a guy. Right. And uh, I, I just kind of see, you know, the, literally the, an impact player. <laughs> I like it. It's a, it's, he's the where did he come from player? Right. So um, Raleigh Texada, there's just not a ton to talk about with him yet uh, because he didn't do a ton that we saw in minicamp. Uh, and obviously, you know, it's his first year here, so we haven't actually seen him with a uniform on but super intriguing uh the last guy in the room we got to talk about is keandre thomas out of uh kansas state he is 24 years old a little bit older for a rookie uh six foot even 186 pounds hometown is fort smith arkansas I have to mention that because there's just not a ton of other information that we have about the guy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm really curious to see. um, uh, By by the way, he's a a second year guy. The the Browns picked him up last year as an undrafted free agent. Now he's heading into his second year. I'm really curious to see because we didn't get to see anything out of him with the Browns. What it was that Gutekunst got so um, interested in him for. Well, look, he he played, he was on the practice squad after getting released by the Browns. He was on the Chargers practice squad, was elevated four times, made one assisted, you know, assisted on one tackle. Uh, so, so that was basically, you know, his season last year uh, has a little bit more. NFL experience, but you know what? All 28 snaps that he took were on special teams. teams. So that's what we're looking at. uh, Primarily, I think uh, for Keandre Thomas, that if he's going to make the roster special teams is going to be the way he does it. Yeah. He played in four games last year on special teams weeks, nine, 10, 11, and 12. You said that was for the chargers, right? Yes for the Chargers against the Eagles, Vikings, Steelers, and Broncos. The uh, only notable thing that happened was that against the Steelers, he was penalized, um, brought his grade down a bit. But other than that, he just kind of didn't do a ton. Um, so, uh, let's see, what's his uh, 40 time? Keanu Thomas, 40 time. He ran a 4-4-4. So, not bad kind of in the middle um, yeah. of, of this group of uh, five guys who are, are, are aiming for one spot. So there's your corner group. I, I've heard a lot of Packers commentators talk about the uh, cornerback room being really thin and being concerned about depth. And I'm just, I, you know, Gil, this might be offensive, but just cry me a river. Like who in the NFL has a fourth and fifth cornerback who you really trust to put out there as a starter. Like the fact that we have three cornerbacks that we really love. 
I feel like uh, this is a, a situation that most of the league would be uh, thrilled to have. And and looking at the rest yeah. of the roster, you know, you even got, uh, you know, Shamar Jean Charles wasn't terrible. Uh, Keyshawn Nixon had a really good year uh, a year ago. You got guys that you've been hanging on to um, on your practice squad for a few years. And it's like, look, if you didn't if you didn't love him, why did you hold on to him for this long? So there must be something in these guys that the coaches like. Uh, otherwise, they would have shipped him off a long time ago. I just I'm not concerned about the cornerback room. And uh, part of me is really tempted to view some of the um, uh gesticulating about cornerback and, and, and talking about the need to bring somebody in as like off season boredom. It's kind of how I I take it a lot of the time. I see. I wouldn't take it that way. Here's how I look at it. The top three may be the best top three in the league. uh, As far as depth, very few teams have a fourth that they can rely on unless you either draft a guy and he surprises you by stepping up early yeah. or earlier than expected. So for example, if Shamar Jean Charles would have, you know, come in and really done very well as a rookie, that's how you get a fourth or you sign a guy like Rasul Douglas, who also surprises you and plays at an elite level. If you think about it last year, the Packers were deeper because you had when he was healthy and that was like almost never, but Kevin King was at least a known quantity. Rasul Douglas surprised everybody. uh, And, you know, Eric Stokes surprised everybody by being as good as he was in his rookie year. And all of a sudden, you know, you had three or four guys who you at least knew what they could do defensively. Mm -hmm. The concern I have is not with, with the fact that we only have three, the concern I have is what happens if one of those three guys misses significant time, because you need three cornerbacks on a lot of plays uh, in the nickel and the dime packages. And it's one thing if Shamar Jean Charles or, uh, you know, some of these fourth or fifth guys are playing five snaps a game or three snaps a game on defense it's another if they're playing 25 and that's where the concern comes in for me. Do you think that some of the uh, concern comes from the loss of Shannon Sullivan and, and, and folks thinking that uh, maybe with him not here, we're, we're downgrading a bit when, when you look at who's going to step up and fill his role. And, and part of why I asked that is because I'm looking, uh, I, I pulled up on PFF, I open up every corner in the NFL um, on every team. I I ignore the snap minimum and I just wanted to see who has the most good corners. And clearly, if you're looking at just the number of corners, not not like the ceiling, but the number of corners who just are really good. The number one team there is the Miami Dolphins. They have uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight guys with good grades at cornerback outside of them. You got four guys with the giants. You've got uh, anybody else. Is there any other teams uh, Tampa has four. All right. And then, and then green Bay. Let me see here. Let me scroll back up to green Bay. 
There's 32 teams I got to scroll through. <laughs> <laughs> they have uh, five. Um, and that is counting Kevin King still on the Packers roster, which is which not accurate. We should not. Yeah. So really it's four guys. So you're tied for second place with uh, with two teams. So three-way tie for second place. And then the, the Dolphins have six. But what the Dolphins don't have is um, uh, a bunch of guys who have really good grades. And, and the Packers did have three guys last year who had really good grades. So what I'm looking at is you don't have Kevin King, who was gone for um, most of the year last year. I know you don't really remember that, but oh, Jair, yeah. Jair played 227 snaps. Kevin King only played 311. All right. Eric Stokes played just under 1,000. So if, if you're looking at who missed a lot of time, Kevin King missed a lot of time. So, and I don't, I don't hear anybody saying, oh, if we only had Kevin King, no, no, <laughs> me maybe. Cause I kind of liked Kevin King, but yeah. I don't hear anybody else wishing we had Kevin King back. Fans are not fond. Most fans are not fond of Kevin King. And, and I, I don't know how fair that is, but the biggest, you know, one of the most important abilities in the NFL is availability. And he rarely was available. And that, that so this was is why. This is why I, I, I the only question I can or solution I can come up with is Shannon Sullivan or are, 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 is that why people are freaking out? Because Shannon Sullivan is no longer here because well, other because otherwise, like you didn't have Jair all year last year and nobody was saying boo about the cornerbacks at that point. You know, it, it's I think the difference is this. Shannon Sullivan, we known him, what, three seasons in Green Bay? He was in known quantity. What we have now is less than known quantities as far as whether they can get the job done. And the the goal in training camp and in the preseason is to find the next Chandon Sullivan. Uh, I, I think the fact that, you know, you, you're going to see probably three or four different players getting a chance at the star role in the slot. Uh, that may be a strength, but the one thing that fans and scouts and coaches don't necessarily love is an unknown. And, you know, it's like until you've proven you can do it, you haven't done it. Right. We don't have a guy who's proven he can do it just yet. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. G- give me your prediction for who's going to be the Shannon Sullivan of this year. Uh, I'm going to go with Shamar Gene uh, Charles. Uh, All right. I, I think he's the favorite and I'll stick with it. You? I like it. I'm going to take Keyshawn Nixon, but I don't feel super strongly between Keyshawn and Shamar. I think it's going to be one of those two guys. Okay. Uh, I, I certainly see why he went with Shamar. Um, I just think that uh, with Shamar, you know, we, we like his versatility, um, but we've just never seen him put it together and, and, and play at a high level. And Keyshawn, although it's been a small sample size, he's done it before. So I think that's why I'm giving the slight edge to Keyshawn, but I think both are really good uh, answers. Fair enough. And then, uh, and then make your pick. So we both think Shamar and Keyshawn have a better odds um, than the other four depth guys we talked about. Right. So who's, yes. who's your pick for CB six? Yeah. KB on Ento, Keandre Thomas, Raleigh Texada and Rico Gafford. Boy. Uh, it's down to two guys for me. 
Uh, I'll Down say. To, yeah, I'm sort of trying to choose between two guys also. For me, it's it's either Kavion Ento. He's been around here for yeah. a bunch of years. He's got the tools. He really knows what we're what we're doing. Um, I it just makes sense that you know that, that it really is make or break for him. He's either going to make the 53 or he's going to go uh, had to find a, a new team and try and make his way there. Right. I don't think he's on the practice squad here again. The other guy for me, Raleigh Texada. I just like the tackling ability. I like the strength and speed combo. This this is a guy uh, to me who uh, makes sense for special teams. And I know Rico Gafford and Keandre Thomas are both getting special teams work right now, but Raleigh Texada just makes a lot of sense that, uh, you know, looking at, at ceiling and, and what he could be down the road, you just like that b- thicker guy who can tackle and cover for special teams. I, I just think that he's going to really endear himself to Bisaccia. Yeah, I think he will too. The only sort of caveat I have with that is, uh, and, and those are the same two that I was sort of debating between. I, I kind of think that they may be able to stash Texada on the practice squad, mm. whereas it wouldn't be as easy. It, it, it's going to, it's going to come down to the wire, but uh, you know, I, I I don't think te- I think Texada makes the practice squad. So we didn't leave a lot of time to talk about safety, and that's fine because there's not a lot of safeties to talk about. This is one of the thinnest <laughs> positions on the roster. It's like uh, backup quarterback. You got two guys there, okay, and then uh, safety. All right, we got we got a safety on the roster, <laughs> uh, pretty much. Um, I, I like Darnell. Uh, obviously, we are you know, massively in love with Adrian Amos. Right. Um, behind those two guys, there's one known commodity, and that is Vernon Scott. Mm-hmm. You've seen him. Um, the, you're you're hoping that he can come and take a step on defense. He was definitely a core special teams guy for you, but in terms of safety three, Henry Black got the majority of uh, the opportunities last year, but he was one of the reasons we lost the playoff game and he and everybody else who didn't play very well are gone from that game. Henry Black is gone. Vernon Scott stays. Uh, He's going to get more opportunities as that third safety. You also have Sean Davis and Ennis Gaines. These are two dudes who have uh, been around the Packers for at least a year on the practice squad. And we heard a ton from all of the uh, uh, beat writers and uh, boots on the ground about how good Sean Davis and Ennis Gaines looked last year in the preseason and in training camp. Uh, Didn't get any playing time. They were uh, on the practice squad. And this year we got, two additions to this room that I think are really intriguing. I'm going to talk about the guy I'm most excited about right now. And that's Tariq Carpenter seventh round, the pick this year. And we heard like right away from Matt LaFleur that they were going to move Tariq to linebacker. And you you understand it because of his size. He's a big boy. I do this every time I closed the thing that has his size. Uh, (laughs) Six, three. I, I go to I go to click to the next tab and I, I click the close button. Six three, uh, yeah, six, three 230 pounds. This yeah. massive dude. Yeah. Uh five that's not his RAS, that's his uh, NFL.com grade. 
Uh, Tariq. His RAS was an 891 as a linebacker and a 906 as a safety. Yeah. Not you bad, like? Right? No, not bad at all. So we heard Matt LaFleur saying, yeah, they're, they're probably going to kick him to inside backer. And I'm just looking and it just does I, th- that math is hard for me to wrap my heads around head around because we usually keep more safeties than inside backers. And we currently have. If you take Tariq off the list entirely, we have two more backers than we have safeties. Right. I just I don't get it. Like, I I, I think that uh, I think that he's more. More likely to earn playing time as a safety, you know, and, and well, I get that he's he's, you know, the hybrid and, and you know, He's going to be spending some time in both rooms, going to be asked to do a lot of the same things. You know, he's going to be a, a coverage, a coverage backer. Um, going to be a, a, what do you call it? A star safety, strong safety. But from a numbers uh, perspective, he makes a lot more sense to me as a safety than as a linebacker. Just, just in well, terms of the guys we have on the roster. Yeah, and I think the need is bigger there as well, although we could certainly use help at both positions. But, you know, the one thing that I do remember after the first uh, rookie minicamp was that Matt LaFleur expressed surprise at how good his range was. Mm -hmm. And maybe, just maybe, that means that he could still get a, a chance to do something at safety. Uh, depending on what he shows in training camp, he's going to be a hybrid. So, you know, he may end up getting work in both rooms at some point. The question is, as a rookie, does that mean you're overburdening him with double the work? Yeah. You, you know, to respond to that point about the range and LaFleur being surprised, uh, from a scouting report here on range, as a safety, Carpenter isn't a candidate for playing in deep zones or as a single high defender. He doesn't have the speed, quickness, or fluidity to cover ground in deep alignments. As a linebacker, he has sufficient range. There you go. I think that uh, looking at the safety room and the complete lack of obvious candidates there, I, I think that it's super realistic to imagine that by midseason, he is your safety three, but that you're looking at, you know, we've talked about how Joe Barry is going to have a lot of creative uh, alignments and personnel packages out there. You're, you're going to want guys who play in one position, but who can play like another position. And right. And for that reason, I think Tariq is going to, is going to thrive. And I think he's going to be out there on the field a decent amount as a rookie all right, and 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 what is he? Who cares? He's Tariq Carpenter. That that's that's his <laughs> position. Is he's Tariq Carpenter? If he's a good player, that's what matters, not what you call him. Yeah. What's what's his uh, what's his position? Uh, football player. <laughs> right. Rover. I, you know. <laughs> like... You know. Yeah. You, uh, just just uh, go uh, go full hall hog uh, college ball and and make him a bullet. How about that? There you go. All right, Trey Sterling is the other new addition. Uh, uh, played uh, free safety at Oklahoma State. Here's what I know about Oklahoma State: is um, so Jim Knowles was the defensive coordinator last year for the Cowboys, and he plays a very similar 
brand of defense to Joe Barry. Um, heavily dependent on pre and post snap uh, adjustments and disguises. He didn't have the best players there, but there was a really darn good defense. And when I say he didn't have the best players, I'm saying this was, I think, the third best defense in all football last year. And none of his guys got drafted early. All of his players, I think like the earliest he had a player drafted was like the fifth round. And then he had right. like a, a sixth rounder or two. So uh, third most productive defense, really smart players. Uh, and, and Trey Sterling is no exception. But the the uh, the NFL was not in love with the uh, uh talents and skill sets that any of these guys had. So where Trey Sterling is going to really be of service is his brain is his understanding of um, clever disguises uh, in, in coverage. And, and, you know, not that he's uh, not a good athlete, but, but I think that there is um, a world where, Joe Barry really falls in love with him because of how smart he is and how quickly he picks up the defense and then is assignment sure. And Joe Barry can just trust him and, and say, listen, here's your assignment. And then I can just set it and forget it. And I don't have to worry that you're going to go, um, you know, uh, play hero ball or, or right. uh, freelance or whatever. You're going to do what I told you to. That's what these coaches, especially in Green Bay, absolutely love. Yeah, reliability and consistency, definitely uh, big pluses. Knowing that a player is going to be in the right place at the right time, and then you worry about getting the technique down and making those plays. But uh, yeah, I like the intelligence of this player and the experience, 23 years old. Uh, mm -hmm. Should be interesting to see what he could do. Yeah, interestingly, he was a senior last year. Um he had missed a lot of his senior year with a wrist injury. I think he broke, I think he broke his bone in two spots, if I remember correctly, and, and had to, he had some torn ligaments, uh, had to have surgery to repair it, um, missed most of the season. And then I think he uh, also missed most of the um, draft preparation as well. He was, he was out for six months after uh, the season was over. Um, so, uh, kind of also explains, you know, just another reason for, for why he ended up not getting drafted and, and why the Packers would still be interested in him. Uh, here's one area of his game to work on tackling and run defense. And, and a lot of the time those two will go hand in hand. Of course. He's stocky, strong player, five foot 11, 205 pounds, a little on the slower side, ran a four, seven, one. Like I said, you know, you didn't have these crazy athletes at Oklahoma State last year, but they were really tough, really assignment sound. Uh, uh, Trey is credited with having really strong hands, uh, makes plays on the ball, very tough and scrappy. Um, but in uh, in in run defense, he's sometimes not quite fast enough to get to where he needs to be. That That could be something that'll hold him back a bit. And then he's inconsistent in getting off blocks. And sometimes you can, you can shake him when he's tackling you. So that's, uh, those are some issues that might frustrate the coaches uh, that he's going to have to work on uh, this year. Yeah. And if he can do that, that gives him a good chance to make the roster. Speaking of making the roster. So um, 
in the three years that Matt LaFleur has been the head coach. And obviously, you know, you had uh, Mike Pettin was the defensive coordinator for uh, the first two of these years. Year one, the Packers kept four safeties on the roster. Year two, they kept five. And then last year, Joe Barry only kept four. So, you know, Amos and Savage are getting two. That is uh, absolutely locked up. And then I would say Tariq Carpenter is, I mean, got to be 100% locked to get a a roster spot here. So you're looking don't know at about lock, but he's probably, I mean, he's probably going to get a roster spot. I'd say probably 65, 70% likely, but primarily on special teams initially. Sure. Although you do need a third safety and they, they yes, really don't do. have one yet. Tariq Carpenter and Vernon Scott are both four uh, former seventh round picks. Uh, Vernon Scott, uh, 2019, Tariq Carpenter, 2021. Vernon Scott would make sense to win that fourth job. I, I think that five safeties makes a certain amount of sense. And I'm kind of, kind of maybe throwing my hat in the ring for Trey Sterling. I think that if there's five safeties, he gets the job and, and by the way, looking back pre Matt LaFleur, they usually kept five or six safeties. There was a, a three year run where they kept four in a row, but uh, most of the time they kept uh, five and then even six in what year was this? Was this 2016? 2016, they kept six safeties. I, I, I think I, I'll put the number at four and a half. All right. And then if they keep five, I think Trey Sterling gets a job here. But Tariq Carpenter and Vernon Scott certainly seem to have um, an advantage over the likes of Sean Davis and Ennis Gaines, who only made the practice squad last year. I agree. Overall, um, what is your uh, fear factor about the safety room? G- give me a, give me a number. Uh, I don't know. One through 10. Where, where's your concern level about the overall safety room? Because it's a, a position when we have talked about the entire roster safety is usually the, uh, probably the second position group out of our mouths when we're talking about, well, we have questions about this room. Uh, I would say my concern is about a six and a half. Okay. How about you? I think that's right about the right area. And it, it stems from, you need to see these safeties take a step back in the right direction after, you know, they, they both regressed in 2021, you know, first year in a new uh, defensive scheme, one that's supposed to be hard for safeties to pick up on. And it made sense that Adrian Amos, as your vet, who's been around a while would um, pick up on things quicker toward the end of the year than the young Savage would. Uh, But Savage needs to improve uh, this year and, and, and get back on track. He was certainly on track his first two years toward being a really quality football player. 2021 was a bit of a, of a, of a, um, you know, speed bump for him. So my concern for me stems from the top end talent in Amos and Savage. And the questions about how long is Amos going to be here? You know, he's a free agent next year. They're going to mm-hmm. work out a long-term deal with him. And then I, you do need three safeties you can trust. And so is Tariq Carpenter going to be able to be that guy? Uh, is going to have to be one of these other guys get substantial playing time. We've seen a lot of Vernon Scott in the last three years. Can't say we've seen a lot that we super loved. So he's no. a player who needs to take a step forward. And then um, Sean Davis and Ennis Gaines, uh, just they have never impressed me yet. I'm going to absolutely 
uh, keep rooting for them and hope that they do something this year. But I, I wasn't blown away by anything we saw from them last year. They were just kind of bodies. Yeah, no, neither. None of them have really proven anything. And again, to me, I'm very happy with the starters. My concern is if Darnell Savage or uh, Adrian Amos go down for any amount of time, Mm -hmm. defense is very often, you know, as good as its weakest link. And I couldn't imagine any of these other guys starting and playing significant snaps uh, and me feeling comfortable with it just yet. You know what? We we had to address one more thing with safeties. There, there's a new safeties coach this year. We didn't have a safeties coach last year. Um, so uh, Joe Barry, uh, Matt LaFleur, somebody noticed the play of the safeties and said, all right, uh, love you, Jerry Gray, but we do need to split the safeties out and, and give them a little bit of special attention. So Ryan Downard is the guy we brought in. Yep. Uh, or I should say brought up. This is his fifth season in Green Bay. He's been uh, the assistant defensive backs coach um, ever since Matt LaFleur got here. Prior to that, he was a defensive quality control coach uh, under Mike Pettin in 2018. Prior to that, he actually worked at Bowling Green, which is uh, right next to where I grew up. Um, So this will be interesting. Um, I've uh, heard Jair Alexander talk about um, about Ryan and, and that um, the uh, attention he got from Ryan in 2020 helped him uh, make all pro heard him say that. So that was um, encouraging. And the fact that he's been around for a while and that the, um, the, the coaching staff felt good about making him a, a full-time position position coach. Uh, I think that there's a lot to be excited about and just that, that they're going to get that, uh, special focused attention um, is, is something that, uh, and, and he's a former DB himself. Uh, he played at um, Eastern Michigan from 2007 to 2010. He had six interceptions. That was number two in the country among freshmen and number 12 um, overall, uh, and not just freshmen, but in the in the country. So six, six interceptions in his freshman campaign is pretty good. Uh, freshman All-American honorable mention. So, uh, anyways, that is your DB room, um, a position group that we've been wanting to talk about for a while. Got a couple of stuff coming up in the next few weeks, but that's going to do it for us today. Make sure you are following us on Twitter at Gil Packers and at JJ Leahy to stay up to date on all things Packers or ask us questions. You can email us at askmillhuddle at gmail.com. Make sure you're subscribed to Packers Talk on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Big thanks to PackersTalk.com for powering our show, and thank you for listening. Until next time, go Pack Go! Go Pack Go! You are listening to Packers Talk Radio Network. PackersTalk.com